We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Hey, Torin. Let me tell you. Uh, so we started the week like at a frenetic pace. I'm rocking my uh, direct employer's t-shirt. Not that any of them are going to see it, but shout out to Shannon Offord and Jamie Costello and the entire direct employer's team. We did the opening keynote on Monday, and now here we are after uh, just a whirlwind of events. So I got to tell yeah. you, I'm tired, Jay, for real. Yes. So fun fact, Shannon Offord and I went to university together and did not know that until about 10 years after the fact. There um, we go. Yeah. So shout out to, to that team over at DE. Of course, those uh, are fantastic folks. And yeah, I'm fucking tired. Like, hey, wait a minute. It's been so, that week. So- so you all were actually in school at the same time? Yeah, we we graduated in the same class. Look at that. Yeah. I didn't even know that. We didn't either. And then uh, actually his best friend was like my best friend and we never even knew each other. It was really super weird. So was that the days where you didn't really like recognize and hang out with black folks until you started rocking with me? Oh, no. His best friend was black. So oh, his best friend was black. Yeah. Who was also like my best friend. It was, was like, your best friend. Okay. Yeah. But we just didn't. Like he was so jocks and I was him. the nerds. You, like oh, I was, you were nerd. I was nerdy, and he was like one of the cool <laughs> jock guys. You know, he's definitely grown out of that. Hello. Wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on for a second. Shannon Offert was he was he was he was a jock. He was. He, I believe he was um, on the track team at Anderson University. Yeah. yeah so man. he's gonna get mad when he hears this because I'm asking the question and I'm not I, doubting it. I'm just you know no, asking for clarity because it's, it's been a cool. hot minute. Yeah, no, Shan's right. good people. Shan's good he people. Is good people. <laughs> yeah. So you say you're tired. You've been doing some work. Oh, uh, we've been doing a, some work. Yes, yeah. yes. You know, took a few days off last week, and uh, you always pay for that, right? So getting caught up. Yeah. But see, you're back from that undisclosed location. That's what it is. Yes. Yes. That's mostly it. (laughs) You didn't post any pictures on social, did you? Um, Just one of Chad and I after after the wedding, but nothing else. Nothing else. That's it. We stay true. That's it. Yep. Okay. All right. Is that like a thing for you? Like, because I know like when we were on the circuit, like 2019, we probably... I don't know where we probably were in four different cities together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you would post pics, you know, from like the hotel, the conference. Have, have you changed? What, um, what's going on? Yeah. I So just before the election, I took Facebook, the app off of my phone because it was just so toxic in, in my environment, um, yeah. that I had to say for the betterment of my mental health, I need a Facebook break and it actually worked a lot. Um, and so I just kind of haven't been posting as much. Um, and not that I don't want people to, you know, know that life is great and grand. It's just, it's taken a lesser prominence, I guess, in my daily habits. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't, 
and I, I hope once we're back out on the circuit, I was thinking today, God, I can't wait to see everyone um, that that will have lots of more fun pictures to post on our page and, and on uh, our Instagram and all that good stuff. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I know I've changed my rhythm on social um, using some platforms a little bit more than mm-hmm. I used to use others. I think I kind of go through that ebb and the flow. I've never really been a person who posts images of me, though, personally. So whether I'm in uh, a city, even on vacation, if I'm in a city uh, doing some work with a client, speaking at an event, I never really posted a lot of those types of pictures. I'm trying to get better uh, about that. So that's why the only reason why I asked, because, again, we said you were in an undisclosed <laughs> location and whether or not you revealed that. Um, But let's get into this week's show because, I mean, again, both of us tired. You got still so much that you need to do to round out the rest of the week. I found a story over on Fortune, and I'm pulling it up now. Uh, And the title of it is How Franklin Templeton Plans to Win the War for Talent by Making Remote Work Fair. Now, listen, I'm not going to get upset with Emma Hinchcliffe. She writes some great articles over at Fortune, but I tell you, um, competitive advantage, war for talent, passive (laughs) talent, those phrases drive me crazy. Yep, yep. At some point, we'll stop using them, but I think you and I will be uh, old, gray, and retired, and hopefully uh, (laughs) having a Mai Tai on the beach with our spouses together. But yeah, I feel (laughs) you. It just drive me crazy, and I think I was in like three events, two events this week, two. It was two. I I can hear it now. Two events where they used the phrase, the war for talent, and you know, I, sometimes I'll correct people on the spot or challenge them on the spot. Mm-hmm. I kind of just let it slide. But in this particular article, uh, it focuses on, you know, the things that Franklin Templeton is doing. I'm not really going to get into the article. I, I pulled it up because the consideration is around that um, anxiety that people are experiencing mm-hmm. about having to go back to the workplace. And Franklin Templeton's CEO, a woman. Uh, CEO Jenny Johnson, she says, quote, they will pick off your talent if you haven't built an organization that can thrive in this. And what was so incredible for me, Jay, is when she said the word this, it just there's a comma after it. And it allows a person to say, well, what does this mean? This can mean COVID, it can mean the pandemic, it can mean the inequities Mm -hmm. in our society, it can mean the challenges that we're having around the globe, geopolitics. What does this mean? People are going to pull your talent. Wait till we get into the story about Basecamp. People are going to pull your talent for a variety of reasons if you aren't addressing some of those thises that exist. Yeah. I, I mean, I could not agree more. This is a conversation I've had probably four times in the last two weeks is one, you're you're not preparing your workforce. You're not treating them with the same loving care that you treat your product or your brand in terms of what does go back to work look like, which is driving more mental health crisis, more anxiety, more uncertainty about the future 
as we come out on the other side. And I'm seeing tons and tons of companies who were going to be out there, who were going to be remote forever, who were going to be giving options, blah, 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 going, ee. I think what we'll do is we'll have you come back to the office and sit here from eight to five so I can look at you um, again, because that as a, as a leader, as a CEO, as a manager is what makes me comfortable. And Jenny's absolutely right. Forward thinking, looking organizations, smart companies who are building for this. And I, and I thank you for explaining it that way. Cause it means so much more to me now are going to win. They are going to thrive. And I can tell you this week, we're looking at bringing on some new staff at Disability Solutions and the people that I'm talking to are in those exact spots, right? Companies that are pulling them back to work, companies that said you could relocate and now you can't. And we're going to benefit from that. Yeah, she talks about in the article talking about working from home, you know, uh, call center employees, Mm -hmm. how uh, Franklin Templeton has uh, two calls. Well, they have several call centers, but they used to break their shifts up East Coast, Mm -hmm. West Coast style. And now how people can really just capture hours because they have the flexibility of working from home. They have the flexibility of taking their children to soccer practice or to daycare and then going back home and getting some more work done. She says she feels like, you know, some of these concepts and some of these um, some of these uh, what's, what's the word that I want adjustments that they are making considerations that they are putting forth should actually bode well for women. And we know that that's a big, big issue because a lot of individuals are leaving the workplace, workforce. Mm-hmm. And a lot more of them happen to be women. A percentage, a greater percentage of those leaving happen to be women. Yeah. And and I think the clear answer from a couple of conversations you and I've had together this week is that there is no one size fits all. And whether you're a mother, a woman, a person with a disability, a caregiver, whatever, right, is there is no one size fits all. And companies who are going to thrive are going to build organizations that can flex around their people and no longer require their people to a hundred percent flex around them. Yeah. One more CEO before we move to the next, uh, quick, quick story. Um, this is from Chrissy Taylor, CEO of enterprise holdings. She says, being a new CEO, I thought, yep, yeah, it's business. It's about driving revenue. It's about controlling costs. It's about profit. But really, we have seen this transition where social issues are becoming business issues. We have to take our leadership to the human level and listen to our teams and make sure we are giving our employees a voice to be heard. What did we talk about earlier today? We talked about how do we change the frequency around our equity and inclusion assessments. Like we may be on a particular cadence. We need to uh, interrupt that cadence and we have to do something now to get the voice of our employees involved, find out what it is that they are experiencing, they're feeling, what they want, what they can. can, We we just got to touch bases with them more, focus more on the people. And and I think that, in a lot of ways, we shouldn't overcomplicate that, right? When you're talking to someone, whether they're a cog in your wheel or not, they're a human being. And simply saying, hey, how's your wife? How are the kids? Is there anything else going on? 
that I can help you with. It takes three minutes at the end of a call. An employee feels like you've recognized what they're going through, where they're at, and you've given them an opportunity that if they need something, they know that door is open. That's not hard. We don't need 10 layers of executive education to achieve that. We need you to start living and managing like a human who's taking care of other humans, right? Think about how you would like a leader to treat your child in their job, right? Or, or your family or your spouse. Pretty simple, right? Treat your employees like they're people, like they're a part of your family, because they you know, are. And, and, and you know, what's amazing to me is how we lean on and we look to some of these organizations, associations to drop a press release mm-hmm. that becomes the breadcrumb to our doing better in the workplace. And what you just said to me is like, I don't need a book on that. I don't need a report on that. I don't need a white paper or blog post. I don't need something to remind me to be a better human. I might need something to remind me that I haven't reached out to Jay in a moment, but I don't need anything to remind me. Just just be a better human. We say that all the time. We even close the show that way. Just be a better human. It's kind of, um, yeah, it's kind of our jam. And it's and kind of our jam. Yep. That's like all that. you got to do. So speaking of being better humans, talk to me about the Second Chance Business Coalition. So it's a group of 30 big companies. They've launched this initiative to really focus on hiring ex-convicts or some would prefer to say former felons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about 70 million Americans um, that are in the U.S. that have a criminal record and it complicates their ability you know, to be able to get work. And so JP Morgan Chase, they put out a presser uh, Wednesday, April 26th. Uh, major, major, major employers and national organizations launched the Second Chance Business Coalition. And they are focused on being led by Jamie Dimon, focused on hiring and advancement practices for people with criminal records. Here's where I like it. Okay. Before we had the uh, the shutdown last year, um, I was at an event for J.P. Morgan Chase in D.C. Mm-hmm. And at that particular event, one of the things that Jamie Dimon said is that he and others from the organization had been quietly working behind the scenes yep. to be able to get people with criminal records employed in financial institutions. Yes. Because right now there are a number of barriers and mm-hmm. pro- prohibitions that keep that from happening. And so when I saw this, I said he's continued to put his foot on that pedal even in the midst of a pandemic. Yep. Through the turmoil, through the changes, the shakeup in the business, the revenues, he didn't lose sight of that or his team they didn't lose sight of it. They continued to press forward. And I appreciated that. Yeah, I think one, I think, you know, when you put this story up that I was going to pounce all over it, because this is just the kind of thing that I feel like, generally speaking, is just a bunch of PR bullshit, right? It's, it's kind of my go to. However, I worked for Jamie Dimon once a long, long time ago, and I've respected him. And as soon as I saw his name attached to this, I said, OK, I'm going to take take a second and do a little due diligence. And I found out today 
from the Brennan Center of Justice that there are more Americans with criminal records than there are with college degrees. Mm-hmm. So that's you talk about the balance, right? The imbalance. Well, say the, that again. Say that again. Say that again. There are more Americans with criminal records than college educations. Never knew that. Brennan Center for Justice. Incredible stat. So there's so much work to be done here. And JP Morgan does a fantastic job in the disability space. They hire a ton of people with disabilities. There's so much crossover in our communities between, um, you know, formerly incarcerated people and people with disabilities. And I look back and in 2019, JP Morgan Chase hired a little over 2000 people. So about 10% 10 of its 2018 workforce were people with some sort of criminal record. Um, And they did that simply by, right, without intervention, without special programming, by taking away the question that says, do you have a criminal record in the application? Yep. Uh, they, they like to say that they banned the box. They didn't really ban the box because you still go through a background check. So I think that we have some progression to make there. But by simply making a system and a process change, right, they were able to get more people in front of hiring managers who, who would have otherwise been automatically kicked out of the system and in some cases blackballed from being considered for another six to you know nine months is some of the, the data parameters I've seen around just answering that question of saying that I had a, I have a criminal history. Um, and so I, I love this. I love that they are being led by a company that's taking action. I, I would always say that there are so many resources out there already. It's, do we really need another business coalition? My, my gut is no, we don't. That's the PR activity of it. Like just do what Jamie Dimon did, do what JP Morgan Chase did and make it easier for people to get through the process of consideration. And you're going to make a dramatic impact that you can go and talk about, that you can go and, and exploit for your PR and your shareholder purposes, but you don't have to waste time having another group to chit chat about it. I can absolutely understand that. JP Morgan Chase hired more than 2,100 people last year with criminal backgrounds. You can find the press release or you can go to secondchancebusinesscoalition.org. Secondchancebusinesscoalition.org. Now, listen, I got to get political just for a moment. Okay. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I knew we would we would not have to pull your arm to get you to participate. Did you see the video of Rick Santorum? Rick Santorum is a moron. Yes, he yes, is I did. All of that. He's yes. all. Of, he's the M, the O, the R, the O, and the N. And it was so for me infuriating because I was actually uh, I did. Four keynote presentations this week. And in every presentation this week, I made mention of people with audio and visible disabilities, hoping that the platform had made provisions for them. Mm-hmm. I made mention of Ramadan every presentation this week. Mm-hmm. And I also made mention of First Nation, Indigenous, Mm -hmm. and Native American individuals in every single presentation. 
And so I said to myself, at, after I had finished the, the one with direct employers, was within like an hour and a half of me finishing, I go on Twitter and I see his tweet or I see a clip of him speaking and he's erasing, rewriting history of what the experience was like for, I suppose, the people that came over on the Mayflower and why. And that for the most part, Indians or Native Americans don't have much to do with our culture, that they actually were just kind of like some folks that were here, but they weren't here. They were almost invisible and didn't contribute anything. We came here because we were seeking religious freedom and we wanted to have a better life. I, I, I listened to it and it's only what? Four minutes, three minutes. Maybe. And I yeah. said to myself, this is why they continue to get away with the challenge towards diversity and inclusion because they keep perpetuating this bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, and and even just to to take it just slightly a step further is that he said, when we came here, we gave birth to a nation or we birthed a nation. And if we all have ever heard a dog whistle, birth of a nation from what the 1920s is a hugely overtly pro-KKK, pro-slavery piece of drivel that um, came out. And then on top of it, if we're not getting there enough, is that there wasn't much in the way of Native American culture in American culture. And the guy still has a job at CNN, as far as I know. And that's a problem. This is not the first one. This is not the first time. Sorry. No, no. And, you know, there's other tweets out there that talked about how CNN has done a a less than a less than desirable job of protecting, correcting language around Mm -hmm. uh, First Nation, Indigenous and Native American individuals. Rebecca Nagel put up a uh, tweet uh, on um, on Twitter. Well, I guess that's where a tweet goes. It goes on Twitter. Last time I checked. Correcting myself. Thanks. You got it. Uh, it's a, she says, what did Native Nation contribute to the U.S. with the question mark? She said, oh, just the concept of a confederacy that became the foundation of the U.S. Constitution. Names of over half of the U.S. states. Staple plants of our diet and economy like corn and tobacco. Oh, and billions of acres of land. Yes. Small contribution. An actual land mass. Small contribution, but, you know, we appreciate you for, and it's just, it was beautiful just to see individuals just chime in and and extol the the incredible contributions, the history um, for those individuals. And while I'm here and talking about it, one thing that I have been mentioning in my keynote presentation for all of you, look up the Native Rising Project. I think you'll appreciate why that project was started, what that project is doing. And it just gets you a bit more closer to the plight of Native Americans and the, you know, communities across the country 
we just have so much work to do to make sure that we keep a very expanded and broad definition of diversity and inclusion, inclusion, our focus, our language. We have to make sure that we do a better job of getting outside of race and and gender. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Nope. Agree, agree, agree. Absolutely. Speaking my language. So, so, you know what? Why don't we? Um, why don't we stick in um, uh, our job vite uh, advertisement? But before we do that, um, I just want to say when corporations do take a stand, they can expect an increase in the number of employees who go above and beyond the call of duty. That was in a Gardner survey on corporate advocacy from July of 2019. I believe. When we come back from this break from JobVite, you'll understand why I said, quote, when corporations do take a stand, they can expect an increase in the number of employees who go above and beyond the call of duty. We'll be right back. Really quick before Torin and I hop back into the episode, have you heard about the new JobVite? The social recruiting innovator is now the end-to-end TA suite leader, helping TA teams attract, engage, hire, onboard, and promote the talent they need to succeed. But built specifically for talent acquisition professionals, the Jobvite Talent Acquisition Suite delivers an unmatched depth of capabilities from AI to DNI, recruitment marketing to applicant management, new hire onboarding, employee referrals, internal mobility, all with next-gen analytics to help you prove the value you deliver to your organization. Whatever your recruiting challenge, Jobvite has a solution. Visit jobvite.com slash C-A-T-K today. Again, jobvite.com forward slash C-A-T-K. Now let's get back into the show. All right. I've been waiting. So what's this uh, above and beyond the call of duty? Uh, So check it. Um, so it looks like they might need a rescue squad over at base camp. You you, you remember what, you remember what Coinbase did when they said we were an apolitical organization. Yep. I'm willing to guess that it's a number of companies that have taken that position, but they haven't risen to the degree of headline. They don't, they haven't hit that prominence of being a headline or a trending item on social media. Well, Basecamp, they did, and they were excoriated this week. And so apparently the CEO of this productivity software company, and I'm not a Basecamp user, but I am familiar with their suite of products. Yes. Uh, So it looks like the CEO has been dragged on social media after banning societal and political discussions um, in the company or on the company's communications channels. I don't know if that's some of their internal mechanisms. Like I don't know what that stuff, means. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Uh, so he's like, look, bottom line is we don't want to have these discussions inside of the workplace. And in addition to that, we are we're doing away with paternalistic benefits such as fitness and education perks. Okay. What is that? Mm-hmm. What is that? Why is that paternalistic? Yeah. So basically what he's saying is that when we are investing in these offerings or we're providing these offerings as benefits for our employees, we are infringing much on their personal space. It's getting too Mm. personal and not 
Well, you know, I guess the clearest way to say it is it's not that family that you mentioned in the beginning of the show. <laughs> yeah, uh, see, see, you, 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 Missy, you, Missy, are are thinking about this the wrong way. You're being too motherly. Mm. You're being too concerned. He's like, uh-uh, we're not doing that. And so uh, apparently he says that today's social and political waters are especially choppy. Sensitivities are at 11. Every discussion remotely related to politics, advocacy, or society at large quickly spins away from pleasant, says Jason Freed. And so he just said, you know, bottom line is we ain't talking about politics. How do you think that's going to go over? Well, Jesus Christ. Come on, guys. Like, one, base camp is predominantly used by marketing, media, kind of planning teams, right? Comms teams. Um, so there's definitely going to be a heavier female base. There's going to be, I would say, probably a more liberal base, for, you know, progressive, politically liberal base that is product user. So let's just stop and say this is not good for your end user. It's not going to appeal to them as users. Um, but that aside, let's just say, okay, we're, we're, we agree not to talk about politics as, as an organization. Fine. I, I think that as CEO, that's not your decision, but let's just go with it. But now ending paternalistic benefits such as fitness and education are a part of that. That sounds Good. to me like um, the CEO at Basecamp wanted to bump up the stock price or wanted to put, put a few more dollars in his pocket and said, you know what, how do I get rid of these things that I'm providing benefits to in a way that kind of puts a, a line in the sand that isn't about money? It's not about my shareholders. It's about not being too paternalistic. It's appealing to that male masculine base of um, rugged individualism. Like it, it sounds to me like you just can't afford some shit guy over at, at base camp and you're trying to save a few bucks. That's what it sounds like to me. And then you just made it a deeper hot mess with your, your comments and, and your things that go with it. I could be wrong, but it sounds like a financial fuck up to me. So let me read exactly what he said or a portion of what he said from his blog post. This is in item number two. He delineated six items inside of the blog post and it had commentary, you know, kind of pre these six call outs and then after after these six. But in point number two, he talks about what I've already said around the paternalistic benefits and, you know, for years that they've offered them. He said they felt good at the time. Uh, it was in good intention, he said, Ooh. but by providing funds for certain things, we're getting too deep into nudging people's personal individual choices. So we've ended these benefits and as compensation, paid every employee the full cash value of the benefits for this year. For in this addition, year. Mm -hmm, in addition, we recently introduced a 10% profit sharing plan to provide direct compensation that people could spend on whatever they'd like privately without company involvement or judgment. Let me okay. read that again. So One more time. we recently introduced a 10% profit sharing plan to provide direct compensation. I don't understand the 10% profit sharing plan. So I guess if I put in a dollar, they're going to, to give me a dime on that. I'm, I'm not sure how that 
what that means. No, it, he's full of shit. A, pro, a, a profit sharing plan is is part of a retirement plan. It's not what I can spend money on right this second. It's a different way to um, uh, ingratiate loyalty and longevity to a company um, because you have valuation and ownership in pieces of the company in your retirement plan. So companies I've worked for, you have a 401k and you have profit sharing. I I don't get that profit sharing. I don't get to keep it um, and put it in my pocket to go buy groceries or go pay for that gym membership. That's bullshit. I mean, it's it's a look at what I'm doing over here while I take away this benefit from you right now. Great. They they paid for it this year. So there's a charge back to the company. It hits one time on the stock line or the valuation line, and then it's gone. And then maybe part of that money goes into the profit sharing. Maybe it does. I don't know. But the whole like pairing these things together with his little, I'm looking at it now, his little manifesto. It's kind of creepy if I'm being hundred percent honest. Um, it, it just, does not sound like sound employer brand or consumer brand or retention based thought processes to me. Well, Marco Rogers over on Twitter, he actually put down a nice little thread. I won't go through all of it, but he asked an important question and he said, you know, I wonder what the organization would have done during the civil rights movement. He says so many white guys are learning about themselves and finding that they are lacking. It must be tough. And I don't know Jason Freed. I'm not suggesting that he is um, fragile, if you will. But I read the quote for a reason, because I feel like, and so does Marco and a whole lot of other people, they feel like a lot of white men are retreating again from the conversation, given all that we have seen over the last, you know, just let's just say the last year. Mm-hmm. We don't need to relitigate a long time in history. Just the last year, he feels like too many are taking the posture of, I'm going to just divorce myself from it. Yep. I don't want to be associated with the challenge of the conversation. Yep. I don't want the strain of making that tough decision. I don't want to explore what it would be like if it is a little uncomfortable, if it's new and we're not accustomed to it. I don't know if I can handle not being centered in the conversation, coddled and made to feel better. That's really what he's saying in there. And so many people chimed in on that. And I think that's the piece that's important. Uh, You know, Jason is absolutely as a CEO, successful organization. They've been around for more than two two decades. He knows something. He's doing something right. He just seems to feel like once all of the dust settles, Basecamp will be a better organization. I don't necessarily agree. Yeah. It it reminds me of a a quote I actually put on my Facebook uh, this week. In the end, we we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends, Martin Luther King Jr. And that is, I think, a He's he's borderlining on enemy, but that retreat, that white male comfort going back into their place of disengagement, I think is a real concern and a real thing that that we're going to see post-George Floyd conviction. 
or yeah. post Derek Chauvin conviction. So yeah, I think it's a go. great point. Yep. Sorry. I keep catching yeah. myself, making sure That's I do right. that. Um, That's right. So speaking of CEOs, we, uh, we kind of railed on the CEO of, of Kroger last week and somebody sent me the top uh, 10 paid CEOs of 2020. And I just thought I would call out Chad Rizian, uh, founder and CEO of Paycom, which is like a HRES payroll surf, uh, software as a service kind of thing, earned a whopping $211 million in corporate comp in 2020. That is the equivalent of 25% of all of Paycom's revenue in that fiscal year. $211 million. And you'll hear people say part of it was in um, restricted stock. All of those things. That's an accurate statement. However, he still owns the vast majority of Paycom stock and is already a billionaire several times over. Um, $211 million. Everyone who works at, at Paycom, 25% of their labor was going directly into your CEO's pocket. Incredible. Twenty. Percent. Twenty six percent. I'm sorry. Twenty six. Yes. Percent. I'm actually scrolling through my uh, Twitter feed. I feel like I put up a post because they were looking for someone in DNI. Oh, I really? Find it right. Yeah, I can't find it right now. Um. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how you all feel over there, but um. And you know, again, there's always going to be the pushback because. Every single one of them, for the most part, will say the numbers are not as they are being reported. What they actually took home was far less than what's being reported. I read a couple of stories like that, and um, I don't know. I just, I don't know. Yeah. Hey, is he the original? Do you know? Is he the original founder? Of the organization, yeah, you he, know, interesting. He is, yeah. Okay. So interesting story about he just turned fifty. I, I got a little bit of respect for him on on a side hustle kind of note. He was a, a salesman at ADP, went to like a community college in Oklahoma, wherever the hell he's from. Um, left, started Paycom, and now he's a billionaire. So like, there is that piece um, that, that makes you want to go kind of like, Hey, American dream, you, you found it, you did it. You went from being sales guy to bazillionaire. So that's why I asked the question. Yeah. And you know, if you are a person who is the one who put the blood, sweat, tears, the, took the shot, took the chance, and you started the organization, I tend to fall back a little bit as it relates to their compensation, I don't talk about it as much. I don't. A little. Yeah, I just I fall back a little bit because I'm that guy, and and while I'm, you know, certainly not in any way close to the earnings that and doing the type of work that he's doing, you know, if 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 I get that lick, as they say, L I K, I think that's the way mm -hmm. we would spell it on the street. If I hit that lick then I want to be able to enjoy it because I have worked extremely hard for it. So if you're worth you know, $8 billion, dollars, bro, like you've earned it, you've made it, you've done it. Do yeah. you need to take 26% of your okay. earnings this year? I mean, I'm not I saying you. like you're a CEO, I'm a CEO, my husband's a CEO. We all want to be rich. Like I'm not mad about that, but at some point, 
like how much is too much? How much is enough? I mean, do you, he has a $26 million place in, uh, in Malibu he bought last year. He's the, the first billionaire in Oklahoma. He's 50 years old and he's worth $8 billion and he started it and he put the blood, sweat and tears into it, but he's not alone in that. Right. The people that work for him every single day keep putting that money in his pocket. And I just think a little bit of it can freaking flow down. That's all I'm saying. I absolutely (laughs) You you never get an argument out of me. And that's one thing that I will say, in addition to hoping that that lick happens, I'm going to make sure I bless everybody in my organization. You know what I mean? So I'm doing that now, you know, blessing folks and you know, taking the portions of my engagements and giving it yep. to folks. And, you well, know, maybe and that's, that's why we'll never get the lick, right? Yeah. You know, it's I know, right? It's just, <laughs> I just, I enjoy giving back and, you know, know. just sharing it. So, I so know. I'm with you on that 100%. I, I do, I do. So anyway, yeah. um, just my, my side bitch on CEOs that'll probably keep up for the remainder of this year. Just FYI. Um, So another interesting, just really quick wrap up. um, Towers Watson, I guess it's Willis Towers Watson now, um, did a survey on emerging trends in healthcare and found that four fifths, so a majority of employers are going to be taking or are taking steps to promote DEI in workplace culture and policies, including access and utilization benefits in well-being programs, benefit programs, and health insurance. That is up from 55% over the past three years. Um, Something that my team is talking about every single day is mental health parity and and benefits and lack of access um, to, to mental health care in our insurance programs. So I think that's like a really positive those are the action-oriented steps that actually change things for people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Quick mention, Culture mm-hmm. Amp's annual Culture First Conference is virtual this year and free. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can register for the Americas event, which happens on May 19th, and the EMEA event happens on June 9th. The APAC event happens on July 14th. Again, find all of that information probably over at cultureamp.com. Awesome. Uh, name drop from Tor and I together this week is the team over at Workplace by Facebook who hosted the first of uh, at least two fantastic conversations with some of the top uh, leaders in the DEIB space today. Torn and I had a blast. We had a great conversation. Um, we learned and we listened. And thanks to the team over there for hosting and, uh, and bringing together that combo. Shout out to Workplace. We close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe and to find your voice. Be a better human. Let's create better culture, better teams, and better workplaces. For now, Jay and I are Ghost. See ya.
You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.